You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, we're here. That's right. This is the Anarchist World this week. COVID-19 or no COVID-19. We continue broadcasting. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting this a program from the car. That's right. I've been banned from the studios like everybody else, and I think that's essentially sensible. I mean, I'm not going to... Um, I think uh, currently we all need to adhere to the advice of uh, uh, distancing from each other and social isolation because this is a particularly uh, nefarious little virus which uh, can create havoc in the community and is creating havoc in the community. Now, I'm not going to uh, bore you with criticisms of the government's response to the COVID-19 crisis. I'm not going to bore you with my uh, opinions regarding the community's uh, lukewarm lukewarm response initially to the crisis. But what I'd like to do today is actually give a a wider perspective. Because I think we are at a turning point in world history. And it's a big, big, big statement to make. But we are at a turning point. Um, I think it's essential to remember that we are one planet. One planet the blue planet, and that what happens in one corner of a planet has an impact on the other. And human history has taught us that there have been a number of pandemics over time, and although there's been exceptional destruction, especially during the Black Plague, the Black Death in the 14th century, uh, the thing is that uh, the human race does survive. But the key is what damage will occur And more importantly, do we need to make changes to our society? Do we need to make fundamental changes, the type of changes that I've been talking about now for over four decades? Because the concept of anarchism is a very simple concept, the concept of creating a society without rulers. And to create a society without rulers, you need to share wealth and share power, because it's inequalities in power and wealth which give rulers the ability to dominate world activities. And if there's one period where we have seen one uh, ideology 
dominate the planet. It's the 21st century. And that ideology is a very simple ideology. It's the simple ideology of capitalism, which in its basic forms means that private investment equals private profits. Over the last four decades, as I keep saying repeatedly, what we've seen during the deregulation, globalisation, corporatisation and privatisation phase of capitalism, we have seen more and more and more power and wealth being concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. So what's this got to do with COVID-19? What's this got to do with the fact that you've lost your job? What's this got to do with the fact that you lined up at Centrelink yesterday and uh, couldn't get onto the MyGov website? What's it got to do with the fact that millions more around the world are going to lose their jobs and, million, and, and possibly millions more are going to die? What's it got to do with the fact that your life's been turned upside down, that your small, that your small business is going to go bankrupt? It's got a lot to do with the fact. And the fact is that for far too long, we have allowed the principles of capitalism, private investment, the private profit, to dominate every aspect of our existence. And now we are paying the price. And we are paying the price because the world has changed. It's changed in a number of ways. One, we have over 7.5 billion people on the planet. That's right, 7.5 billion people on the planet, which has finite resources. The world has changed and we face a climate emergency, which has been human-induced because we have allowed, as individuals and societies and nation-states and internationally, we have allowed corporate capitalism to dominate every aspect of our existence. Now, I'm not talking about small businesses, you know, trying to eke out a living and sole traders and people hiring one or two people. I'm talking about tens and tens of, you know, uh, thousands of uh, large corporations that dominate every aspect of our existence. That's what I'm talking about. So what are the issues we face? As I said before, 7.5 billion people on the planet, finite resources, climate change, and and an economic system dominated by corporate capitalism. So what's that got to do with COVID-19? Well, it's very simple. We live in a contained system, irrespective of national boundaries, irrespective of religious beliefs, irrespective of gender orientation, irrespective of sexual orientation, we all live on a planet with finite resources. And as the population increases, as we embark on an orgy of uh, factory farming, whether it's in the seas or the land, it's obvious that something has to give. And what is given, and what will continue to be an issue, this is not as our beloved Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, says, a one-in-a-hundred-year event, like the uh, Spanish influenza crisis in 1919. This is going to be an increasing occurrence in our community. As the climate changes, the temperature changes, 
the number of human beings increases to uh, number of people increases on the planet, we will face the dilemma of more and more viruses and bacteria crossing the animal-human barrier. Because whether we like it or not, ultimately, we are just another organism on this planet. Whether you believe in a God or not, we are just another organism on this planet. And we share the planet with many organisms which have a very similar genetic profile to us. Not just talking about our cousins in the uh, ape family, but I'm talking about bats, pigs, which have got a huge amount of genetic similarity. So it's no accident that with factory farming and uh, both in the sea and the land, with the increasing number of people, mouths to feed, it is no accident that we face a pandemic in 2020. And it's no accident that we will face more and more pandemics. Because a lot of people have been saying for a long time the climate emergency is about increasing temperatures. I've been saying for a long time the emergency we face, the human emergency we face, is about the development of organisms which, because of increasing CO2 emissions, which can have a profound impact on the human population. So what's that got to do with capitalism? You know, private investment for private gain. What it has got to do with capitalism? If there is one thing, one lesson that can be learned from what is happening around you today as I speak, that it's no longer business as usual. And irrespective of what Mr. Morrison and his cohorts tell you, that when it's all over in six to nine months, it's going to be business as usual and that the capitalism will continue to dominate the world affairs. It's totally, 100% incorrect because we are at a juncture. We are at a very interesting point. You know, you're travelling along this road. We've been growing and growing and growing. People have been making profits. We've destroyed the planet. We've destroyed, to a significant degree, many of the other organisms which share this planet with us. And we've now come to this Y junction. And we can continue down the same path. We can continue to allow corporate capitalism to dominate every aspect of our existence, or we can move down another path. And that's the decision we should be looking at in the next three or four months once the virus is contained. Does capitalism provide any viable solutions to the problems which affect us in the 21st century? Does it? For example, I'll give you a few examples. People have been working all their lives putting money in superannuation funds, which has been invested on their behalf by superannuation funds. And they've seen their net wealth, their retirement nest egg, disappear, halved in many cases, within four weeks. And who knows what will happen to the stock market 
in the next uh, few months. Who knows? But do we really want to be involved in a system which allows people's retirement future to be destroyed in a few weeks because of the economic system we are using to maintain people's you know, existence. Then we saw tens of thousands of people, you know, hundreds of thousands, trying to get a pittance in order to survive because their businesses and their jobs were closed down in an attempt to halt or decrease the spread of COVID-19. Hundreds of thousands of people trying to get government assistance. And I think what highlights the type of society we have become is the fact that many people who had never had any interaction with Centrelink now understand what the 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive now understand, especially people on Newstart Allowance, the hoops that they have to jump through. For example, and what highlights this even worse is the fact that you need a customer. You understand? A Centrelink customer reference number before you can actually access benefits. And the benefits won't start, you know, for weeks. Think about it. A customer reference number. Centrelink customer. And it's that word customer which highlights how the public sector has been destroyed in Australia and most of the world in the 21st century. We are not customers. You are not a customer. You are a citizen. You are a resident. You are a temporary worker from overseas. You're an overseas student. You're a refugee. You are an asylum seeker. We are not customers. And for Mr. Morrison to actually state that mutual obligation concerns may continue in the future regarding the corona emergency virus payment highlights that these people have no intention of changing the ideological direction of this country. Let's look at the next step. 40% of Australians rent. Most small businesses have leases and rent their premises. Many of the people who own second homes and rent premises have mortgages. So when the people stop working, the system grinds to a halt. It collapses not just in terms of the economic systems, but people's ability to exist and survive. That's the essence. You don't have a wage for six weeks. You're out the door. So what are the pathetic responses from this government? The first thing is it has denied the, op the opposition and the Greens and the minor parties to enter into a government of national unity to address these problems. They're not the only ones with solutions. 
there are many people in this society, many elected representatives in federal parliament, in the Legislative Assembly and the Senate that have different opinions. It's all very well having the premiers and the cabinet meeting. But what we need today to address this issue on the ground today, now, is a government of national unity. Not an opposition party and a government or opposition parties, but a government of national unity where the best minds can come together with the best advice to address the issue. Not just the issue of the spread of COVID-19, but the issue of what to do regarding the economic collapse we see happening around us, which will continue for a number of months. And at the end of that, you will find that most small business will be bankrupt. You will find many people will be bankrupt. Think about the 40% who are renting currently. Think about the 40% who are renting currently. What are they going to do if they have no income? Are we going to see mass evictions in this country? I mean, I heard Mr. Frydenberg, our beloved treasurer, say that, you know, owners of properties should be generous. 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 And then I heard Mr. Morrison say yesterday, he was distressed, distressed by the incompetence of the government in terms of dealing with the situation. You know, a pathetic payment here, a little bit of here, of that. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. We need profound changes, and we need to be discussing those profound changes. The first thing we should be discussing is... The first thing we should be discussing is a universal basic income, a universal basic income for everybody in this society. If we had a universal basic income before the COVID-19 crisis occurred, we would not be in this economic mess. And a universal basic income is a very simple concept. And it's a concept that needs to be discussed seriously over the next few months. It is the concept of every person in society receiving a basic income which allows them to survive. So if you had a COVID-19 crisis, that survival mechanism would be in place and you wouldn't have the economic catastrophe that we are currently facing. And I've said before, ad nauseum on this program, The Anarchist World This Week, which is streaming live around Australia, you know, streaming live around Australia, I've said ad nauseum on this program, that you can fund a universal basic income for everyone in three different ways. One, a 1% turnover tax on the stock market, whether it goes up and down every time you buy or sell a share or a stock, 1% 
automatically goes in the Treasury. That could raise anywhere between 30 to $80 billion a year in this country. The next thing that we need, because we know that most corporations pay voluntary taxation in this country, and the burden of the taxation system, the burden of having a coherent, strong social security system relies 100%, relies, sorry, below that 90%, on pay-as-you-earn tax pay. Because taxes are paid as they earn. So 1% turnover tax for companies that have a turnover of, say, more than $2 million per year would raise 100 to $150 billion per year. And last but not least, one of the most important things we must do in this country, as the Norwegians did, is actually is actually own our mineral resources, own this country's minerals resources. For far too long, we have allowed local and overseas corporations to dominate the mining sector, make extraordinary profits, extraordinary profits, and pay minimal taxation. We need to nationalise the mining sector, gold, diamonds, iron ore, coal, uranium, magnesium, rare metals. We are blessed with large mineral resources. Why should these mineral resources, why should the bulk of the profits that are made from these minerals go into the pockets of shareholders? They should be shared by both the Indigenous community and the non-Indigenous community. The money that would come would be more than enough in its own right to fund a universal basic income. And with increasing technical advances in IT and in, you know, artificial intelligence, we are not going to need every person on the, in this country to work in order to survive. So a universal basic income is something we should be speaking about today. And obviously, people who earn you know, a reasonable amount, maybe more double the uh, universal basic income, that money can be recouped through the taxation system. It can be recouped through the taxation system. For far too long, we have not actually uh, recouped money uh, put aside money for the future. Not just money. I had to laugh yesterday. I had to laugh when I heard that the Australian military had been put on alert to provide services and that they actually had contacted a private company based in Kuwait, which they had contracted with to provide services to the Australian community. How ludicrous. Not even the armed forces have the experience and the personnel to deal with the situation. I'll give you another example of how ridiculous things are. Now, I've been a doctor for over 45 years and I'm still continuing to practice. 
all right, which puts me at the front line of the COVID-19 crisis. I am continuing to see patients because people continue to get sick. They continue to get cancers and infections, you know, and all the whole plethora of diseases which plague the human race and every living organism on this planet. But sometimes you need to ring up a government department in order to get uh, permission to prescribe certain medications. And when I rang up this government department, which I've been ringing up for 40 years with no problem, all the staff had been transferred. That's right, transferred to Centrelink to deal with that situation. And that is another problem. We have seen the privatisation of essential services in this country. Not because they're more efficient, but because of an ideological bugbear. That's what it's, it's all about ideology. So now when we're in a crisis situation, we do not have the people in place whether it's the armed forces, whether it's the public service at the state and uh, other level, you know, a federal level, to deal with the situation. How ridiculous. How ridiculous. How extraordinarily ridiculous. We do not have the people on the ground. Fortunately, there is one institution which currently is holding its own. And that is the healthcare service. I'm old enough to remember and old enough to be in the campaigns in the 1970s, which drove the Whitlam government to introduce a universal medical insurance scheme in this country called Medicare. And if we did not have a public hospital system which was open to all, irrespective of the amount of you know pennies in their pockets and we didn't have a pharmaceutical benefit scheme, which was again uh, funded by the federal government, and we didn't have a Medicare system, which allows people to see doctors, we would be, as the United States is currently finding itself in, in an extraordinarily difficult situation. Just look at the pictures coming out of Indonesia, where they don't have a social security they don't have a good healthcare system. Look at those pictures. Those pictures could be happening today. And for decades, people like me have been fighting to extend Medicare, to defend Medicare, to defend the public hospital system. And over and over and over and over again, oppositions, federal governments have done everything they can to destroy the universal health care system, the bedrock of any community, especially one which faces a health crisis like COVID-19, is to have a fully funded, efficient, efficiently staffed public health sector. Public, the people, the many, not the few. And what we've done over the last 50 years or 40 years, what we've done is we've been more interested in the few, 
the celebrity, the people who own the means of production, distribution, exchange, exchange. We've been interested in their welfare. That's right, their welfare, not the welfare of the population as a whole. And that's why five in 2015, that's right, five years ago, we formed public interest or corporate interest. And the interest was minimal. Minimal. Five years later, we still don't have 550 people on the federal electoral roll to register as a federal political party. This was a this is a political party and mass movement, community-based movement, which is based on the idea of putting the interests of many before the few. It's about a political group, it's a social group, it's a cultural group, it's, it's, a, it's a political party. It's about putting, as I said before, the many, the interests of the many before the interests of the few. That's why one of our basic policies is the universal basic income. That's why we are very interested in expanding the public sector. That's why we don't want to see taxpayers' money go into the private sector, which we see ad nauseum in this country. Ad nauseum. Think of all the government-run uh, facilities which provided a profit to the people which have been privatised. For what? So you can battle with 16 energy providers for the best, uh, you know, plan. So you can, you know, you can get a cheaper car from overseas while you destroy your local system. Think about it. It's crazy. It is totally crazy system. Well, you have 1.7 million temporary workers to do work that locals could do. This was an ideological push to destroy the power of the trade union. And the list goes on and on and on. So hopefully, to me, COVID-19 is a threat and an opportunity. It's a threat to you and me and our family and our friends and our community and our nation. It is a significant threat but it is an opportunity for people to think. We were told ad nauseum, it's about competition, 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 competition. Each looking after, you know, themselves and their family. But the reality is, what a crisis highlights is it's cooperation and mutual aid. Cooperation and mutual aid, which is the Force which can defeat COVID-19. It's all very well for the Premier of Victoria, Mr Andrews, and other Premiers around the state to say, we have the police out there and they're going to, you know, ensure that you know, social isolation and distancing is going to be affected by Well, there aren't enough police out there. You know that, I do that. People shut down businesses voluntarily. They're asked to shut down businesses and they shut down those businesses because cooperation is the key. Mutual aid is the key. Sharing resources, that's what mutual aid is about, is the key. Where is the government saying no evictions for the next six months if people don't pay rents? 
Where is the government saying that people are allowed to break leases during this period? Because what's going to destroy people is the fact that they've signed up on legal leases, whether it's for uh, rent, rental purposes, whether it's for business purposes. And owners will attempt to enforce those lease agreements. When has the government said that, you know, you, you know if a person wants to leave a, a lease because of the COVID virus situation and their business has been closed down, they can actually forfeit that lease and say, bang, I'm paying rent end of the month and that's it. Bad luck. It's your problem. Look at all the people who were supposedly... Again, Mr Frydenberg, he, 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 that man makes me laugh. He really does. He said, oh, the banks will look after you. Well, I've got some experience. The Bank of Melbourne, right? The Bank of Melbourne, which is actually a subsidiary of West, West Bank, they actually sent out a... Uh, an SMS to their customers saying that they would actually defer any penalties if people pay late, not defer payments for six months to give people some economic stability, but actually defer penalties. And then at the height of the COVID virus last week, I'm sure you got an SMS, I got an SMS from one of my banks, which said, no, I don't actually own them, <laughs> which said, if you have any problems, and I thought, oh, this is great, they've got a head. Uh, as a result of the bushfire crisis, I'm thinking, hey, hang on, hang on. That was three months ago. Why are you SMSing me three months later? You know, I thought you were going to SMS me about whether you've got any problems paying your bill. Nah, not interested. So the government is unable to deal with the problem. Having an economic system based on the concept of private investment and private profit cannot deal with the issue. And I think people are beginning to realise that if you need, if you want to deal with this issue, we need fundamental economic and social change. And the key is fundamental. As I said at the beginning of the program. Increasing pandemics are likely. This could just be a dress rehearsal because of increasing population growth, finite resources, human-induced uh, human climate emergency, and an economic system which is based on creating profit to be expected to human, environmental, and national costs. Now, you've heard me say this for decades. I'm sure you're sick of it. But today, Today, highlight that we need to look at things like mutual aid, not competition. We need to look at things like cooperation, not competition. We need to look at things like a universal basic income and how to fund that universal basic income. We need to expand public housing. Exponentially. Exponentially. As well, I've been saying on this program for years now. If every state quarantined stamp, stamp duty revenue from housing for public housing, you could house 15 to 20% of Australians in public housing within. Within. 
a decade. Think about it. We need to completely turn our back on corporate campuses. We need to turn our back on governments which can continue to act as mere puppets for the corporate sector who are more interested in what's going to happen to their corporate mates than are you. Because this is a wake-up call for many Australians who normally would consider to be supporters of the capitalist system. This is a wake-up call. Those people in Social Security benefits know what it's like to have to deal with an ideologically an ideology which is based on creating profit irrespective of human social and environmental costs. They know. And those people in public housing who pay 25% of their rent, 25% of their income on rent, are those which are most shielded from the economic consequences, not the human consequences, not the medical consequences, but the economic consequences of the current crisis because their rents are fixed at 25% of their income and most of their income comes from social security benefits. The people who are suffering today are those people who have believed in the capitalist system. And those that have been hardest hit are small business owners across the country who've seen their businesses close down en masse and casual and, and part-time staff, which has been used by much, much of the small business sector in order to generate profits at that end of They have been those that have been impacted the most. And these are normally people who support you know, the government of the day, who support capitalism, who think that if you work hard, you will get your just reward. Australia. That's what the immigration program is. It's not been built on looking after the needs of asylum refugees. It's been built on bringing out people who believe in the Australian dream, who believe in the capitalist dream. You work hard, you and your children get ahead. Well, the reality is different. And these are the people who've been the hardest hit. And these are vocal people. These are people who believed in the dream. These are people who believed that Australia was a land of milk and honey. These are people who believed they could do anything if they worked hard, you know, kept their nose to the grindstone and didn't, uh, you know, cause any havoc. Well, it's time this section of the began to understand the difference between them and the 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits, and that'll increase to 40%, 45% in the next few months, is six weeks' wages. That's right, six weeks' wages. You don't have six weeks' wages in a capitalist society, you have nothing. You can't pay rent, you can't pay mortgage, you have nothing. So once we move out of this current situation, could be three months, could be six months, could be 12 months, these are the people that should be agitating for the things that I have been 
mentioning the year. Things like a universal basic income, things like a health system, which is provides health care to everybody, a public health system, a public education system, remove the money from the private sector, put it back into the public sector. Let's put the interests of the many for the interests of the few. We have that capacity. Corporate capitalism isn't some God-created mechanism of by which we can live. It's created by that small section of society that is the means of production, distribution, exchange. It's been created. It is so powerful that it determines parliamentary policy. Why do you think Mr. Morrison and Mr. Frydenberg are frightened of having a government of national during this period of crisis? Maybe because some of the opposition members, both in the Greens and you know other opposition and the Australian Labor Party, maybe they've got different ideas on how to resolve this, which would actually affect the profitability of their corporate makers. Why don't they want to uh, pass legislation to? stop any evictions over the next few months? Why haven't they taken the case, the interests of those 40% of Australians who went uh, more seriously? Because most of them are property owners. Most of them are using negative hearing law to keep their, uh, you know, to increase their profitability. They are there for their corporate mates. I can assure you that if we do not take COVID-19 seriously, not just in terms of its medical consequences and human consequences, but take it seriously in terms of economic consequences, we will find ourselves in a difficult situation. And Mr. Trump makes a very important point. He says, well, you know, what's going to happen? 10% of the population is going to die. There's 30 million Americans. Who cares? Who cares? Business as usual. We want business as usual in the United States of America. Now, he may be pushed aside over the next few weeks by a variety of interests, but the reality is this is what people are thinking around the world. This is what they're thinking around the world. This is what capitalists are thinking around the world. They're thinking, well, you know, we can protect ourselves. we got money. we got reserves in the bank. We can socially isolate ourselves. We can do all the right things. We can survive. Why should the elderly, especially the poor, why should those with disabilities, why should we look after them? Why should we bother? Let's go back to the 19th century, you know, where we sat there. We were the ladies and gentlemen keeping them to work to actually uh, live. And we thought of it over everybody else, using nationalism and militarism and there's a catch cry. This is how people are thinking currently. I know it's disgusting. I know it's, it, it's terrible. But this is a decision which governments will make around the world as COVID-19 continues to impact. And let's, not, let's not forget, COVID-19 is a pandemic, but it is not a serious pandemic. Say if we had a pandemic with a 15, 20, 30% mortality, what will we do then? 
So, I know at the minute it's hard to um, concentrate outside your own personal safety and the personal safety of your family and friends. But I think we need to start agitating, whether you do it on the net, whether you do it on phone calls, whether you do it with a letter, we need to start agitating for fundamental change in our society. Fundamental change. Fundamental change based on principles of mutual aid, collectivism, cooperation. Fundamental changes based on the concept of the universe. Basic income for each and every person. Fundamental changes in terms of extending the public health system, supporting the public health system, not trying to privatise and destroy it. Fundamental changes in terms of reversing the drain of public money into the private education sector where we have created an apartheid system as far as education is concerned. And that's the, that's the dilemma. We have created apartheid in this country based on income, an income apartheid. You can buy the best healthcare money you can buy. You can buy the best education money you can buy. And the list goes on and on. As long as you've got the disposable income, you can do all these things. So let's see a reversal. Let's see a debate begin about the nationalisation of the mineral resources in this country. Nationalisation without compensation. Let's look at other ways of actually funding people's superannuation. You could actually use the money that comes from the nationalisation of these mineral resources in this country to actually fund people's superannuation. You could put it in a growth fund so that when the stock market goes up and down, it doesn't mean that people lose 50, 60, 70, 80% of the money which they've put aside for their retirement. Let's look at concepts like forming collectives and cooperatives and forming and uh, governments providing seeding funding for the formation of collectives and cooperatives to create a third tier in the in the economic system, because currently you've got a private sector, which is rampant. You've got a public sector, which has been whittled away on a daily basis. And you've got a cooperative collective sector, which is non-existent. I mean, cooperatives and collectives provide income to people. They don't make people rich, but they provide security. Let's have a fundamental debate about public houses. And as I said over and over again, Public housing, access to public housing gives people security, especially if access to public housing is limited. That's right, is limited to 25% of a person's income. I think public housing should be available for everybody who cannot buy in the private sector. And a strong public housing sector, as I say continuously, a strong public housing sector, not social housing, not community housing, which are, which are, which are uh, basically another form of capitalist housing. But public housing provides security for people, economic security. As I said before, if we had a strong public housing sector, 40% in 
we wouldn't find ourselves in this current situation. And the economic disaster which is unfolding as we are trying to contain the damage caused by COVID-19 is directly linked to our exposure to corporate capitalism. It's directly linked. And if there's one country on the planet which has embraced, embraced corporate capitalism, that's the domination of the economy by a significant by a, a small group of corporations, it's Australia. We have been involved in a privatisation orgy which has seen public assets virtually given away to the private sector, whether it's banks, whether it's telecommunications, whether it's gas, whether it's, not, whether it's electricity, whether it's services, ancillary services within public hospitals, whether it's private schools, whether it's the privatisation of, of the job of, um, of the Commonwealth Employment Service, privatisation of the airports, privatisation of the ports, privatisation of many roads through so-called public-private partnership, just to explore the public sector. Now think about it. Now today, as I speak, more and more people are beginning to see beyond the consequences, the medical consequences of COVID. Thinking about things like food security, thinking about things like security, thinking about things like how they will pay their bills. Because in a capitalist society, the wage system determines your lifestyle determines your ability, you know, to live. So we can isolate ourselves. We can, you know, forever and ever and ever. But the reality is we are social organisms. We need to eat. We need shelter. We need access to medical care. We are social animals. We tend to congregate. We're part of a herd the human herd, although there may be some many subspecies in that herd. So decisions up to you. You can say, you know, you can wring your hands and say, We'll all be ruined, we'll all be ruined. The end of the earth is coming, the rapture is upon us, you know. <laughs> we are human beings. We have the capacity. And we have changed the course of history. And it's unfortunate that most of the gains which were made by the revolutionary movements of the 18th and 19th century have now been whittled away. They've gone back to that small section of society that owns the means of production. The state is primarily an instrument of social control. It is there to ensure that small section continue to exploit it. But the community as a whole is just as responsible for allowing them to exploit us, for allowing, for believing the garbage that centralisation, corporatisation, 
privatisation, globalisation, would somehow make us all richer. And it hasn't. And it's taken a tiny little microscopic virus which has jumped into the human population, COVID-19, to bring capitalism to its knees. And the dilemma is that if we do not take this opportunity, and it is an opportunity to change direction, next time there's another pandemic, and it's not an, and will not be a one-in-a-hundred-year uh, event, as Mr Morrison would like us to think, maybe next time things won't be so pleasant. You know, things are unpleasant now. They can get much, 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 much more unpleasant as we are seen in many parts of the world where they don't have a public health system, where they don't have food security. We're in lucky that we can provide 85 to 90 of the food that is required in this country. They don't actually have a social security system where, you know, they are ripe to die in hundreds of thousands. Think about it. We are lucky. Not the lucky country. We are lucky because as a community we have resources, which most of the world does not have. We have the capacity to create a great egalitarian community based on mutual aid, cooperation, which is sustainable in this country. We have everything going for us. The only thing that stops us creating that community is the fact that too many Australians for too long have believed that the best way to address this issue is to support capitalism. You can join Pipsy by downloading the application form. Uh, you can join Pipsy by downloading the application form, pipsy.net. If you can't download it, post the, post the completed application form to Post Office Box 20. We want to be part of a new political movement which is going to change the direction of this country. I encourage you to join public interest before corporate interest today. Download the application form, pipsy.net. Thank you to all the staff at Community Radio 3CR for allowing me to broadcast in the car to you today across Australia. Thank you to the Community Radio Network. Thank you to each and every listener listening to the Anarchist World this week, next week. It's a period of a profound opportunity for each and every one of us. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poison 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.